this afternoon window was so brutal. There was just like not touchdowns, but um, I had Josh Allen. So uh, that's a that's a good a good bet because the Buffalo Bills might be the greatest football team of all time. Um, considering what what the afternoon slate looked like, that this is brutal. This is really really brutal football. It, it's very bad. Yeah, I had yeah. Josh Allen and Gabe Davis, and I am just riding that wave right now. <laughs> Everything I was, else honest, is pretty ugly. I was honestly shocked that like it went as well as it did with Gabe Davis. I I was like trying not to hedge because it was like everyone's got recency bias about Gabe Davis, and I was afraid that I was one of those people. But as usual, I'm right, um, as I am all the time. <laughs> so I feel good about that. This is actually um, a segue into relative content, believe it or not, uh, because uh, Gabe Davis was the fourth leading receiver on the 2017 UCF team that went undefeated under the uh, coaching of Scott Frost, uh, <laughs> which is kind of, no, when you go didn't. back and look at it, they had Tracon Smith, who's now on the Saints, uh, Dredix Nelson, who I believe got drafted and was a pretty damn good wide receiver, and then Jordan Akins, uh, the Houston Texans tight end. Uh, those three were all in front of a freshman Gabe Davis on that team, which also had uh, Shaquem Griffin um, at linebacker and Mike Hughes, the first round corner. And oh my yeah, God. they were, they, they were unbelievably loaded for like uh, for an AAC team. So if we want to go back to the origin of why is Scott Frost, maybe not as good as we thought, like that team was so much more talented than the rest of the AAC that I don't know if he had to do much other than just put the ball out there. Um, You know, that Gabe Davis factoid is why we're the internet's premier Buffalo Bills podcast. Yes, we've got, we've got the Buffalo Michigan crossover going. We absolutely do. Um, And I'm sorry, my dog is barking because he knows that the Buffalo Bills got that dog in them. Um, (laughs) I, I mean, honestly, unfortunately, we do have to retire that phrase because the ringer did get a hold of it and, yeah, and put we're it done up with it. as a graphic yeah, that, in, uh, in their QB rankings. We've broken contain. Um, I'm really sad about that. But um, <laughs> that was a bummer. We have to retire it. Unfortunately, but I do actually like honestly, I would love to do a case study on that, like on that UCF undefeated team, because looking at that and looking at potentially like what Scott Frost theoretically coached, I, I just have so many questions. Like, how did he get here? How did this happen? And kind of where did it go so wrong? I mean, I, we know where it went so wrong, but I mean, to to have taken UCF from basically nothing to what they were in 2017 and then just completely just screw it up at your alma mater, that has to be just, just gutting. I mean, not necessarily gutting because you got a bajillion dollars from it, but you know. Like I'm just I'm baffled. I'm I'm baffled at how 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 he fumbled this so badly. I, well, the, this this 2017 schedule is starting to enlighten me a little bit. Um, they uh, their non conference uh, they played at Maryland um, during. I let's see what record did Maryland have in 2017? Was that right around the DJ Durkin time? Or was oh that after? boy, yeah, that was a four and eight DJ Durkin and Walt Bell joint. Goodness oh. gracious! Um, and they beat Texas. <laughs> uh, they beat Texas that year. Uh, they also lost to a pretty uh, mid Michigan team, uh, thirty-five to ten. 
So that was not a good team by any stretch. They also lost a 66 to three game to Penn state. Um, let's see. They also played, uh, who else was non-conference here? Austin P <laughs> great. Uh, and that might've been it. They had two games canceled. They were supposed to play Georgia tech that got canceled. They were supposed to play Maine, probably less of a losing risk there. And that got canceled. The best team they played was either Memphis or Auburn. And both of those games, Memphis was a double overtime win and Auburn was a bowl game that they won by one touchdown. Yeah. I think the lesson to be learned here is Scott Frost is maybe bad. Um, I think I'm going to give, I'm going to give that up now. Um, I guess we can talk about Hawaii now. Yeah. All right. Uh, welcome to the bucket problem episode 58. I am your host, Ace Ambender, and you have already heard Taylor Fulton and Alex Cook, who are my co-hosts today. We are, as always, presented by Homefield Apparel and PointsBet. We're a proud member of the Blue Wire Network, and we are Meet at Midfield production. Uh, Meetatmidfield.com slash subscribe, $12.99 a month. Just uh, just throwing it out there. Just, just saying. Uh, the boards were lively this weekend, and uh, Taylor's written uh, a bit of a eulogy for Kate McNamara's uh, starting career because it's over and uh, we should get into that. So Michigan beat Hawaii 56 to 10 late Saturday night because this game got pushed back about an hour thanks to a lightning delay, which is definitely what you want when you're playing uh, one of the two or three worst teams in the entire country. Uh, Total yardage was 588 to 253 and most of those Hawaii yards were gained against uh, backups and walk-ons and the like. Um, yeah, this was this was completely not competitive. Michigan could pretty much call their shots uh, when they had the starters out there, and that very much included uh, JJ McCarthy going off uh, for eleven for twelve, two hundred twenty nine yards, three touchdowns. Uh, didn't really need him in the run game, but he was there anyway. Um, and uh, yeah. Uh, he was named the starter after this game uh, very late on Saturday night uh, or technically Sunday morning by that point. Uh, Jim Harbaugh, just in the post-game presser, uh, said, yeah, JJ is the starter. So uh, there we go. Um, it was a little bit anticlimactic, but uh, it was it was hard to come to any other conclusion after the end of that game. So, uh Alex, you have the most relevant big mood uh, to the Hawaii game itself uh, because me and Taylor uh, enjoyed some of the other things that happened on Saturday and uh, afterwards. So let's let's start this off with you, man. Yeah, um, my big mood is that it kind of stinks to spend a quarter of your season playing scrimmages when you have one of the best teams in the country. Um, Michigan's non-conference schedule is gotta be the worst among power five teams. I mean, Colorado State, Hawaii <laughs> are just atrocious. UConn, similarly bad. Michigan, I think you said earlier today in, in a group chat was favored by 45 against UConn. Um, there are opponents that I feel like you, you can't really learn too many good things because they're so overwhelmed, but you can learn some bad things on just random snaps here and there that kind of get amplified and maybe a desire to kind of do like a both sides analysis where it's like, Hey, there was a bunch of stuff that was really good. And then there were like three plays that were bad, including a third string freshman safety, taking a bad angle and giving up a touchdown. Mm -hmm. Like none of that matters. None of these games matter. Um, (laughs) Except it's nihilist football for the most part, except for, um, you know, the QB battle, which I think fans have kind of seized on that because there's no competitive interest in the games really. So that seems to be decided now pretty definitively, I think, unless um, 
something bad happens later this season. But I mean, JJ is going to be on cruise control against UConn. Got to figure that Maryland isn't going to put up much of a fight. And yeah, then then by then you're a third of the way into the season, and yeah, it's nice to spend the season at the at the top of the polls. But kind of stinks that Michigan didn't get a more competitive non-conference game from somebody. Yeah, it's. I mean. I feel bad for people who bought tickets like this. This just sucks. <laughs> yeah. Including the season ticket holders who had to buy them. I know I've discussed that before. Um, I do think that it is worth mentioning that these kind of games and like SEC fans, you know, sometimes get ridiculed because their teams play an FCS team every uh, November. But those games in, in Michigan versus Hawaii, that is really essential to the economics of college sports, really like those huge paychecks that go to these schools to come in and lose by eight touchdowns or whatever really help support the athletic department in a meaningful way. Um, As the big 10 continues to get more money, the value of those games will continue to rise. Those schools will get more money. And since there's not much TV interest in, you know, late night mountain West battles, that's kind of a important influx of cash flow. So personally, I'm glad that, um, Michigan kept it relatively respectful against Hawaii because it was 42 to zero at halftime. And it absolutely could have been a a 2016 Rutgers style game. Um, But yeah, Hawaii, it's a tough situation. Like the off the field stuff is, is really difficult there. And Timmy Chang definitely starting from, from the bottom. So hopefully they get to put a competitive team together in, in the next few years. But yeah, right now it's like, I would take Grand Valley to beat Colorado <laughs> State or Hawaii. And that's like, I'm not even joking. Yeah, um, I mean, I can't imagine that when they put together this non-conference schedule, I mean, you you put these together years in advance. So you can't know that like all three of these teams would potentially be like right. in the 100s in, in yeah. like comprehensive rankings of the uh, of the FBS. But um, you do run the risk of that when you schedule three pretty crummy, crummy programs, uh, three programs that historically are not good at football. Um, that's, uh, that's yeah, and Vi- Michigan <laughs> had good home and homes with like Arkansas and Virginia tech that just were agreed to, you know, a decade and a half in advance and would be happening around now, but we backed out of them so we can, you know, play Colorado state. Yeah. And there was another one that we lost because of the COVID season where, uh, the, the trip to Washington did not happen. Uh, we did get the leg in Ann Arbor, but uh, they didn't reschedule the game in Washington. And if they did, it's it's far in the future, and I'm not paying attention to it yet because those games aren't real. There's too much going on right now to think that those games are real. Um, yeah, it's funny that Michigan canceled the home and home against UCLA, and yeah, look what happened there. <laughs> well, you know, yeah, uh, things have a funny way of coming back around sometimes. Uh, all right, uh, Taylor, th- your big boot is quick to the point and uh, just wonderful to bask in after Saturday afternoons. Uh, uh, one of its more surprising and delightful outcomes. Eat shit, Catholics. Uh, Notre Dame lost to the Marshall Thundering Herd. Um, did you go to rocked. church? I did not go to church oh, this come week. On. I will. I did promise on the meet at midfield boards that if Marshall won, I would go to church. Maybe I will do it next week. Um because the Bills also don't play uh, next week. They play Monday Night Football, <laughs> so I could potentially go to church. Um, but yeah, that rocked. Um, I love that Notre Dame is now no longer ranked. 
I think that that is delightful. Oh, I hadn't um, looked at the rankings yet. That's great. Yeah, they are unranked. <laughs> they went from eighth to unranked, and that's beautiful to me. Um, so I think uh, a team that I hate so, so much has to rebuild. Uh, and I think that that's just delightful. Um, and being a Michigan fan during a time at which Michigan was rebuilding, um, it was pretty upsetting and unpleasant. And uh, I wish it on nobody except for the teams that I don't like. So, yeah, there that- there were some really good crowd shots and shots of Marcus <sighs> Freeman. Uh, we, we we there was just it ruled uh, like NBC for. Uh, all I hate about the way that they produce Notre Dame football games. Um, <laughs> they know how to linger on a loss really well. And they, they did it. They did it to perfection at the end of that game. It was just like long lingering shots of very, very unhappy people. <laughs> and I love mm-hmm. it. Yeah. They look terrible. Like Tommy Reese and Tyler Buckner, like that is not a good look. And people were get kind of gassing up Ohio State's defense after week one. And to see that Notre Dame team play against Marshall and have like four turnovers, only one touchdown, right? I'm not sure exactly on those numbers, but woof. And and great weekend for the Sun Belt. In addition to Marshall's win, we had Appalachian State beating Texas yes. A&M mm-hmm. and Georgia Southern coached by first-year head coach Clay Helton, who was fired last September from (laughs) USC, beat Nebraska on the road. I feel bad for Nebraska fans, but at least it's over. Um, I remember 1997. I don't feel bad for them at all. No, Notre Dame fans fans have a lot more bad to look forward to. Like, that's a team that looks like they could go, like, six and six or seven and five against a pretty bad schedule. They could, like, they could... They could repeat the four and eight. And I think that that's just delightful. They really could. Um, Because I mean, like, oh, it's so good. I won't linger on it, but mm, it's just delicious. And it makes me really happy, especially considering all the the preseason hype that they got for for no reason, for absolutely no reason. So um, I'm feeling vindicated. I'm feeling good. Um, I am refreshed. Um, I am basking in the light of the Lord. I don't know how everyone else is doing. Um, and I'm allowed to make Catholic jokes. I am a confirmed Catholic. So before anyone gets mad at me, just so you know. Um, but anyway, um, speaking of bad things that happened uh, at the hands of the Sun Belt, uh, we we should probably talk about about the other good thing that happened. Yeah. So my big mood is uh, it, it involves Nebraska being really, really ready to get rid of Scott Frost. Because uh, as we record this, it's earlier today. We are recording on Sunday evening. Um, Yeah, Nebraska fired Scott Frost, and they did it even though uh, his current buyout is uh, about $17 million. And it drops by $7.5 million in October. Uh, But they could not wait after losing 45-42 to Georgia Southern uh, after they had lost in week zero against Northwestern struggled to put away North Dakota, uh, which is not any of the good Dakotas uh, in terms of football. Uh, and on uh, on Saturday, uh, they host Oklahoma. <laughs> so that, that that may be why they wanted to get rid of him, because that's going to be a bloodbath. But uh, the thing is, uh, it's going to be a bloodbath anyway, because now they have uh, an interim coach from Scott Frost's staff. Uh, this all seems terrible. Um it's I don't know. It's extremely funny. Just the general situation. Uh, you heard us chatter about uh, UCF uh, potentially being uh, 
a little more talented than they were thought to be at the time in 2017 when Scott Frost kind of built his reputation as coach and then went to Oregon where he was uh, working with Mario Cristobal and also a lot of talent again. Um, and, you know, Justin Herbert. <laughs> and uh, also not making Justin Herbert look as incredible as he does in the NFL, by the way. Um, and, uh, yeah, uh, Nebraska's gone poorly, uh, I think we can say. And he has... He has done a like statistical outlier level job of coming up with ways to lose football games in a way where you actually have to believe that it is his problem. <laughs> and now he's gone. And in some way I will miss him because it has been extremely entertaining to have this version of Nebraska around, but it'd also be kind of nice for the big 10 to have a version of Nebraska around. That's actually good. Uh, so hopefully they move on and find somebody, uh, will it be Matt Campbell? Will, will that make, uh, a lot of us from the, the soup chat feel some weird things possibly. I don't know. Uh, there's a, there's a lot left to go. Uh, we should also mention, yeah, Iowa state beat Iowa. Um, so Matt Campbell stock back on the rise. Um, please ignore how bad Iowa is. Is it, is it really? I, I unloaded. <laughs> I unloaded my Campbell stock. I was I was out on him. <laughs> we, we've dumped I'm it. I'm gonna admit it. We dumped it. We <laughs> bought we bought Jim stock. We're back on Jim. I, I have a little good. bit invested on the side in Dave Aranda, even though it's never happening. But um, yeah, that's uh, we we've shifted around our investments at uh, at Bucket Problem headquarters. You know, a lot of people on Twitter have talked about this, but I think the conversation that must have been happening among the big wig boosters in Nebraska's luxury boxes as last night was unfolding must have been hilarious. They're <laughs> they like must passing have been around passing until, <laughs> yeah, just being like, hey, can you chip in $500,000 to fire Scott Frost now as opposed to a month from now? And apparently they gathered up 7.5 million not um, even a month they they would have had oklahoma and a bye week and then they play indiana on october 1st <laughs> that's literally all it took they they didn't even play three games they, they just they had wouldn't... to wait out a game that they are going to lose no like, matter what they do to the coach this week and, and that it... would have been like beautiful justification that would have been incredible justification to be like yeah, this isn't going to work. Like, we're so sorry. Like, we're so thankful for what Scott has done for the program in 1997 and yada, yada, yada. Like, they had all of the justification. They had, like, a really nice way to gracefully, like, exit him. Nope. And they chose not to do that. And I think that that is amazing. And I think that's wonderful. And I it's think, the less miles. Uh, it's, it's just holding on just a little bit too long when everybody knows it's doomed. And, it uh, rocks. And now we're here. And... I'm starting to wonder if the other conversation in the luxury boxes at Nebraska was something along the lines of how much economic damage are we doing to Lincoln, Nebraska, if we host a home game against Oklahoma and Scott Frost is still on the sidelines? Does it approach eight and a half million dollars? <laughs> because I don't know, like that that town really relies on it. And I think it would have been extremely dead or at least very full of Oklahoma fans if they just uh, if they hosted that game with the not that it's going to be much different, but at least now they can come out and look and and see somebody else on the sidelines. I don't know. It's it's an amazing I, situation that, we, that we're here um, already with Scott Frost. And it actually feels like, like we said too late, like they, they, they waited too long to do this. Um, and he had a he had a, I mean. There is something to be said about like we don't know 
when with like coach hires, we just don't know. Um, I mean, Scott Frost was thought to be just the most obvious and uh, like a high quality hire for Nebraska, and it has gone as poorly as it could, could possibly go, and then some. Uh, that they're now paying uh, an extra eight and a half million dollars uh, to get, or seven and a half million dollars to get a uh, seventeen million dollar buyout together uh, to get rid of him three games into the 2022 season after uh, a renegotiated deal. And I think that yes. that money is the reason why Nebraska still is a pretty good job. Um, they have a lot of money. They care a lot. There is institutional support for good football and they are going to be in the position to target the coaches that they want. Obviously you're not going to be negotiating directly with guys in October, but um, you look at coaches at Iowa state or Kansas, they would theoretically be chopping at the bit to take a jump up in the same kind of region to a program like Nebraska. Oh, I was say Kansas has suddenly become an interesting job. Uh, yes, it, absolutely. It, it, because of the, the future of the big 12, because they're already turning it around. I, I mean, I, I agree that like, if you're Matt Campbell, I, I, I think you take a long, hard look uh, if, if Nebraska comes your way. Um, but I think there's going to be a certain tier of coach who looks at this. as just, kind of a dead-end job because uh, no matter how the Big Ten reconfigures itself in the future, Nebraska is going to have a tough time keeping up with the upper half of the conference. Just it, It's a very hard place to recruit locally because it, there's just not a lot of local football talent. And now the, I mean, Nebraska, I, I think they have like a, they've won nine or 10 games recently enough that they have that in them, but that like the old Nebraska is very, very dead. Oh yeah. The old Nebraska where they started lifting weights before other teams thought to do that. That's never, ever coming back. And and just like took advantage of a non-qualifier role (laughs) to let in a bunch of people who would not be playing college football right now. Yeah. I think Nebraska to the point about recruiting in the NIL and transfer portal era, uh, the right coach could put together a, a pretty talented team there. I think um, you're not going to get a five star away from Alabama or Georgia or Texas or whatever, but kids transferred from those schools. I think there's a lot, there's going to be a lot of churn. And I think the local importance of college football recruiting might be waning a little bit. Um, but yeah, it all depends on who they hire, right? Like we thought that Frost was an A plus hire. I don't know if Campbell is going to be the guy. Urban Meyer is somebody that people have joked about. I don't think, <laughs> I think his. I think I don't think Nebraska would take him to take that job. <laughs> I don't think Nebraska would take him because I think that be kind of moral him. turpitude. I think, is... I, I think it all goes. I mean, first of all, like they might want to reevaluate the Tom Osborne era if they're standing on any sort of moral turpitude. Oh yeah, no, but they lo- <laughs> they love to pretend that that's the case. Like it's they're true. like a Michigan where it's like, oh, we do things the right way. Capital R, capital W. Yeah, like. I guess uh, I am looking in a mirror right now. <laughs> but yeah, I was gonna say like who who. <laughs> but who they should late? too. <laughs> they should also do that, right? Yeah, I mean. I- Anybody who does that, I think, in college football is at least somewhat hypocritical. Like Michigan, Nebraska, uh, a school like Notre Dame, potentially. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, you know, it, yeah, it all depends on who they hire. I don't think Urban would take that job either. Um, yeah, it, it'll be interesting. There's going to be two months of talk about it as Nebraska limps to to nine three or three and nine rather. 
Exactly. Not, not nine and three. Unless you know, <laughs> Urban's available. <laughs> He's around. He he knows the he knows the Big Ten. Um, Fox has already basically done his like rehabilitation tour. Um, I do think that Leipold is probably a really ex- um like like person to watch as a coach. Um, I saw a bit of his coaching um, when he coached at Buffalo, uh, and then I was actually working at UB when he um, went to Kansas. I I'm curious to see what happens there because he really did a nice job with that program in a short amount of time. Um, but yeah, I mean, like Campbell would be a name. Um, I know that there, I know that there's like, there's, you could name anybody at this point. Like you could name me, like the bucket problem is actually uh, by we're, we're buying the seat. We're sponsoring the seat. We are going to be choosing the next coach. Like you could say anything at this point. Um, so obviously it's it's too soon to tell, um, but but yeah, I I'm probably looking at Leipold for that because um, dying Big Twelve, no matter regardless of Kansas being a good job or not, yeah. um, Kansas is a in a precarious situation um, where they could they could honestly move to the Big Ten anyway because of like the whole like because there's just so many other things and they would make sense in the basketball perspective, but. Um, yeah, that's a job he might jump and he has, you know, obviously Mac to big 12 is going to be a a jump and then big 12 to big 10 is going to be another jump. It seems like the right move for him in theory. So I I would watch that with (laughs) a lot of interest. I would not do it. I think Leipold could be holding out for the Wisconsin job potentially like he, um, which would also rock. He's from Wisconsin. And I don't think Paul Christ is the guy there. Not long for this world on that team. Um, And I think Drew Ham actually tweeted uh, that, or somebody did that he, that he, yeah, he coached there as a GA. He's got Wisconsin ties. So yeah, it's true. He could be a holdout, but for that job, but you know, if, if, for some somehow Wisconsin figures that out, which they also lost. Um to a which extremely locks. mid <laughs> Washington yeah, State loss at home. Yeah, it was his first Big Ten win. Uh I think that that's also one to watch, but not nearly as immediately as Scott Frost's job. Yeah, Wisconsin, if I'm Wisconsin's AD, I'm pulling a Tommy Tuberville move and promoting my assist my star assistant uh jim leonard to head coach like they did with Dabo at clemson um it might really, it might be time it might he's be really time. the brains behind the operation there yeah do it at the end of the season but yeah it's got to be done yeah maybe do it before the bowl game yeah <laughs> give him a little uh mini season all right we've we've avoided talking about the hawaii game and the quarterback stuff for I think as long as we possibly can. Uh, do we have to? Uh, here we go. I'm sorry. Uh, JJ McCarthy, I read a stat line earlier, but here it is again. 11 for 12, 229 yards, three touchdowns, did not take a sack. Uh, also had one rush for 16 yards. Uh, meanwhile, Cade McNamara, four for six, 26 yards, one very bad interception, two sacks that were uh, not his fault in terms of the protection. Uh, Davis Warren, two for four, 65 yards. Also had an 11 yard run. Um, she looked pretty darn good, uh, but the game was extremely over by that point. Um, Taylor, I, I know you've been reading certain theories about this uh, um, quarterback competition and how it was set up. And like, we both have thoughts on this because I, I was on Twitter kind of arguing uh, with a national reporter about it yesterday a little bit. Not arguing, just, you know, having a back and forth. 
having discourse. Uh, yeah. So it seems that the prevailing national narrative is that Jim Harbaugh is some level 1000 brain genius and rigged the quarterback competition so that McCarthy would win the job. I, I want to point out right here, he can just name the starter. Like he he has the power to do that. He does. And and I think in a way, if you weren't paying attention to anything Jim Harbaugh has done or said, you could certainly believe that. You could certainly say maybe Harbaugh has this loyalty to um you know, kind of like throw this kid a bone, Cade McNamara being that kid, throw this kid a bone. I don't think that's the case. I actually think it's the opposite. Um, I honestly think that anyone who who is saying that um, Cade McNamara was treated unfairly in this process um, should consider that he had the entire last se- like he started the entire 2021 season. He played the he played in a national championship semifinal like he played in the college football like semifinal like he is a quarterback who has proven himself in pressure situation again game against georgia notwithstanding but georgia as we're kind of even watching this season um that's a very then, like, that's a pressure situation to to defeat yeah. many other pressure situations yeah like that that's that's i would argue an outlier but when you're looking at most of the play that they're going to see that michigan is going to see um like really tough big 10 play especially in the big 10 east um a big 10 championship game which you want to get back to um and theoretically assuming they don't make the playoff like a rose bowl or another like kind of gritty game um of that variety um you Cade McNamara has proven himself already. Um, so to assume to assume that like he was not given a fair shot at that job is not particularly fair. I also think that camp situations and um, game scenarios are obviously very different. Um, M- McCarthy uh, seems to have like elevated his game in camp, um, but instead of again just outright naming him starter, it's probably best to put him in game situations. So give Cade, Cade McNamara the first start, give JJ McCarthy the second one in Jim Harbaugh's like brain. Again, he, and I've written about this, he's pretty egalitarian. He thinks that everyone deserves a fair shot to do X, Y, or Z. Um, whether or not you believe or agree with all of the things that he, that he does, that's notwithstanding either. But all of this to say, like, he gave Cade McNamara the fairest shot that he could. And to say that the competition was, like, predetermined in McCarthy's favor is not something that... It it, it almost kind of, like, tells you a little bit about what other people think of Cade McNamara anyway. And they're kind of, like, pitying him in a way. It's, that it's I don't a think weird is way to talk. Like, it has been so strange because people are trying to give him, like, this very soft landing. And it's like, y'all watched it. Like yeah, like uh, what? What else is there? Like one quarterback had a, a basically flawless performance, and the other quarterback uh, just didn't. <laughs> like yeah, and and then last week he had a rough game against a pretty easy opponent, and I and I mean he continues to show the, the same limitations that we saw last year. Um, you know, the interception was not a good throw. He had a very clean pocket. They actually brought the offense, the first team offensive line back in for him to get 
a similar level protection that McCarthy uh, had, and then he um, lobbed one up directly to a defender. That throw was a good three, four yards short of where it needed to be. And it was not good. It was really, really bad. Almost equally alarming was him checking down on multiple third downs um, in a situation where he has to know that, you know, to keep his job, you have to push the ball downfield a little bit because the other guy has separated himself in that way. And uh, he didn't really have much to lose at that point. Uh, You know, Michigan's up big in the game. Uh, I mean, I know he's a guy who doesn't want to make mistakes, but you can tell that 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 seems to be kind of the overriding thing about his game and that that along with the running ability and also the fact that McCarthy has a spectacular NFL caliber arm uh you know it really changes the calculus and it's it's hard to justify anything else uh Alex I I know you've been a Cade guy but um I think we uh, you know we agree that it's it's hard to come to any other conclusion at this point Oh yeah, I, I was a Cade guy before the season, but at this point, how could you be anything other than the JJ guy? I mean, Harbaugh got what he wanted from the two-game tryouts against scrimmage opponents, and JJ looks way better. And I'm excited to see what he brings to the team the rest of the year. He's a really exciting player. Like I don't know that I've ever seen a Michigan player with that kind of athleticism and that kind of arm. I mean, Drew he, Henson comes to mind as somebody who is similarly talented, but uh, yeah, that even, was even over that, 20 it, years ago. It's been I mean, a long time. Yeah. Yeah. That's not really. Um, yeah. That's, that's all. It's a long time. And yeah, people compare JJ to Denard, which is a little ridiculous, but I understand yes. that idea of like, okay, Michigan has not often had a quarterback where when the ball is in his hands, you think something spectacular can happen on any play. That's JJ. That was Denard, and yeah, I'm I'm looking forward to the discourse moving in a in another direction. I really yes. hope that it does. Please. I think Cade will for sure play against UConn. Um, so I think that instead of talking about a, a beatdown where Michigan wins by nine touchdowns, people are going to talk about the quarterbacks again still. And I hope that Cade can settle into his role as a backup. I hope that we can start talking about meaningful football soon. And yeah, for the love of God, can, can McCarthy play a clean game? So we don't relitigate this all over again. For well, I, I need that. Like I need air. <laughs> I, I, if I, I have was, to do this again. <laughs> I was a great test for JJ because hostile environment, great defense, but I mean, you could give them a few touchdowns and <laughs> they, they're not going to score points. any of their own. Like, <laughs> no, they're like, not huge, huge safety. Like, I don't know. Yeah, there's a definite margin for error playing against Iowa's offense. Taylor and I spent three and a half hours on Saturday afternoon uh, announcing that game. That rocked. And it it was really only three and a half hours because that, if you could say one good thing about Iowa, Iowa State, that game moves really goddamn fast. Yeah. Um, And there's just like one more thing I would say about this, and then we can put a bow on this, at least for now, um, until JJ McCarthy throws three interceptions against UConn and everyone is in hell. Um, (laughs) (laughs) uh, So I guess Kate Kate McNamara got booed yesterday, which I think is absolutely absurd. It's Um, ridiculous. There's no no reason to do that. Um, First of all, again, I think, and this is another thing that I kind of wrote a little bit about is like, there is a human element to this. And like, as much as I don't necessarily feel bad for Cade McNamara as a football player, as someone who is supposed to have that mental fortitude, um, he's still like, what, 21, 22. That sucks. That sucks a lot. 
Um, tough thing to publicly go through. Right, uh, right. And and I think that I I do think in a way that Jim Harbaugh could have done this without um he probably could have done this without even advertising it. He could have started Cade for the first game at the at the postgame presser said, Yeah, no, we're gonna put in JJ for game two. And you know, the discourse would be a lot less dramatic, I think, and and would have been a lot less public and probably taken a little bit of the heat off of him. Uh, because I really do think, again, at the end of this, regardless of how it went, if, like, say, Cade McNamara had played basically the that, like, how he was playing the second half of last season um, and, like, kind of started off, like, hot out the gate and there was an actual quarterback controversy quote unquote, McCarthy, I think, would have still shown these same things and still had the better set of tools to be named the starter. Um, but it would have been, you know, obviously a lot more um a lot more interesting. But it didn't happen. Like it didn't. He's like McCarthy's a better player and we've Yeah. We've settled it. Um, yeah, it's settled. Take, it's done. Here's Go. a take for you guys <laughs> though. Um I don't think it's impossible to think that Cade McNamara I'm too many double negatives here. Cade McNamara might play a meaningful football at Michigan still oh, come, yeah. because uh, you never JJ know one bad hit. Yeah, one bad hit in this offensive line has shown to be like a little leaky at least maybe. Um yeah, right quarterback's still important. Yeah. I, I think that I think also uh McCarthy, one thing that he really does need to clean up in his game is he does take those like kind of bullish hits when he runs. He needs to be a little bit smarter about that. Um and yeah. I, I think that's just really all all there is to say about that. As long as he cleans that up, doesn't doesn't get hurt, I think we're good. Yeah. Um at running back, Blake Corm, nine carries, eighty-eight yards, a touchdown. Donovan Edwards had a really spectacular thirty-three yard reception uh from JJ McCarthy. Um and three carries for twenty-six yards and a touchdown. Uh the real notable thing here was CJ Stokes like very much separating himself as the third running back. Air carries sixty-one yards, a touchdown, just looked like he had a lot of juice and uh Tavier Dunlap did not bring that same thing. In fact, he uh, kind of got outshone by Isaiah Gash on like one uh, 38 yard touchdown run. Um, so looks like there's a pretty clear top three. Uh, Blake Corum looks awesome. Uh, Donovan Edwards looks like one of the, one of the very best receiving backs in college football. There's just not a lot of guys that can make the, the downfield catch that he did. And it was cool to see them, uh, have him cap that off at the touchdown run to just kind of reward excellence there. And I mean, Stokes looks like a great find for Mike Hart. Uh, other than that, very little to take away from this because, again, the the opponent is uh, really terrible. But um, I, th- I think the running backs are as good as advertised. There's just only so much that we can take away from this. Yeah, they're good. All, the all Edwards drive also rocked really, really a lot. It, it was super cool, um, and I was very glad to see it happen. Yeah, no, that was that was fun. Um they should do that more often. Uh, we're calling that the Maryland until further notice. Um, that was uh, that was when they debuted that. Uh, receiving Ronnie Bell, six catches, 74 yards. Uh, also in a touchdown on a slant on a rocket throw uh, from McCarthy, obviously. Um, also dropped a pass. That was McCarthy's loan incompletion and had a, a pretty adventurous uh, fumble where he had a, re- like a really good juke uh on a on a third down play but then uh got a little loose with the handle as he was trying to convert a pretty hopeless third down so i i mean we've seen enough of ronnie bell to not be particularly concerned about any of this uh he still 
had a very productive game, but uh, it was a little bit more adventurous than we probably would have liked to see. Uh, nobody else got more than two targets. Uh, Cornelius Johnson converted both of his, uh, one a touchdown, the other it just a, a rocket <laughs> uh, opposite hash deep throw uh, for 54 yards. Uh, the third leading receiver was Max Bredesen <laughs> with one catch for 56 yards. And uh, Roman Wilson opened the game with a 42-yard touchdown. Uh, there were nine different players with one reception. Uh, five of them were uh, five different players. Um, yeah, five of them were tight ends. Uh, so Michigan really just went up and down the lineup, picked who they wanted to go to. And uh, yeah, um, it, it seems like Ronnie Bell is still a, very much a favorite target. And otherwise, again, little to take away from this, except maybe the depth chart order. Alex, I I know you watched a uh, prospective Michigan receiver at one point. Um, yeah, I tweeted this during the Texas game, but it's it's really funny that Xavier Worthy wound up being such a dominant game-breaking player there because he would have gotten the Nico Collins, why aren't we giving this guy more targets uh, designation at Michigan? Like Harbaugh loves to play these games against overmatched non-conference opponents, overmatched conference opponents where he runs the ball most of the time and then spreads out the target. Like Ronnie Bell gets, you know, a decent looks as the number one receiver. And then it's like, we're going to give everybody, including the walk on tight ends, a catch, <laughs> um, which is kind of funny. Like Andrell Anthony has had, I don't know, maybe like two or three targets this season. Um, kind of interesting, but yeah, I, I feel happy for Xavier that he gets to show t- showcase his talents and that Michigan still has a really good receivers room. Yeah, I mean, Michigan threw the ball 22 times in this game, so there were not a ton of targets to go around, especially when you're uh, throwing to the tight ends as much as we're doing. Uh, I should add, uh, Roman Wilson also had a 21-yard touchdown run uh, because Michigan uh, wanted to showcase the Hawaiian playing against Hawaii, and again, uh, they could really just call their shots in this one. Um, Up front, blocking... um, there wasn't a whole lot to say about this one. Carson Barnhart was out. Uh, so Giovanni El Hadi got kind of the extra snaps in his place. Uh, we had one pretty bad pass set each from Zach Zinner and Trente Jones. Uh, we've seen Zach Zinner enough that uh, I don't think that's a huge concern uh, with Jones. We've now seen that a consecutive week. So I guess a little bit concerned about right tackle until Barnhart comes back. But if they've got Jones and Barnhart, I think there's only, and now El Hadi, who they seem to at least trust to, to rotate through. Um, I mean, they were mashing in the running game. There there were very solid pockets when McCarthy was in the game. It, it, I, I don't feel particularly concerned about how things were going once they started uh, mixing up lineups a little bit. Anybody feel differently? Yeah, it's just kind of hard to tell against teams that bad. It'll <laughs> yeah. be interesting to see how they play against Iowa. That's That's my take. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm just keeping an eye on it, but especially um, on the right side, uh, Zinter and Jones in particular, but I'm not like, you know, I'm not sounding an alarm yet. This team is really going to be able to run the ball against good teams. I think they are blowing people up off the ball. Uh, Jake Butt, who I thought did pretty well, given the circumstances of the game yes. in his first game as a color commentator, <laughs> um, he pointed out that Michigan loves pulling those big offensive linemen. Uh, Michigan has some guys that can really move. I think Oluwatimi has looked great. And yeah, they're, you know, good running backs, good offensive line. That's what Michigan football is and kind Jake of about. Jake was also intimately familiar with the entire tight end depth chart, uh, which you, you love to hear. You you love 
when a guy comes back and knows his whole position group like by heart and knows like who they hang out with, who they help lift. Max Bradison got a shout out for helping. Uh, who did he help get bigger? I uh, think that was Joey Velasquez uh, getting oh, that's on right. the weight room. <laughs> yeah. Yes, I, no, I Joey love Velasquez that. had the assist. That was great. That's um, perfect BTN content is having a former star player, like just doing riffs like that throughout the game. Yeah, no, the I thought Jake Butt did uh, pretty well, especially considering uh, those delays are no fun. They definitely throw you out of your rhythm, no matter what role you're playing in the game. I've been through them as a reporter. It's just it's just not easy <laughs> from any uh, aspect, which I think also was kind of a nice thing to see from both the offense and the defense in this game. Is there was not really there was not any sort of hiccup uh, to start the game, uh, and I'm sure part of that is that. Hawaii, uh, as we have mentioned a couple times, pretty overmatched, uh, but also Michigan came ready to play uh, and uh, could pretty much call the final score. And uh, I think Connor Southerd actually pointed out a pretty um, salient point when we were chatting last night. Unfortunately, he couldn't join us on the podcast today, but he mentioned that like to really get to, because at some point during the game, the live line on points bet went up to 76 and a half. And uh and it ended up the, the final margin was 46, which also happened to have been the uh, the opening line uh, for most Vegas sports books. Uh, interestingly enough, they're pretty good at this and also might have gotten in a lot of sucker money from Michigan people. Uh, but Connor pointed out it's hard to win a game by a massive, massive margin at home because you have your full roster. And when you have your full roster and you're going through it, you get all the way down to the walk-ons. When you have your... Uh, travel roster, which is uh, much more limited in size, uh, you don't. You're basically just working through like you're three deep uh, at most. So, if you remember that that seventy eight nothing win over Rutgers, uh, that was a road game, and uh, I think that's that's a big reason why it ended up seventy eight nothing. Is Michigan really didn't have anybody that they could put out who who couldn't score, <laughs> and in this game they actually reached the point where it was like, okay, this is this is sort of competitive. Um, yeah, yeah and, Michigan had a future All-American linebacker playing third string in that Rutgers game. <laughs> yeah, so it's it's just uh, it, this was a different type of game, even though I, I, it could have easily been, you know, in the 78, 80. I mean, really think they could have picked their final score here. Um, overall, the offensive approach, uh, I mean, I, I have in my notes that it felt different and I wonder why. And that feels a little mean to say, uh, but um like you could see very clearly how much different it is when the quarterback both has uh, a very strong vertical aspect to their passing game and also brings something in the running game. Hawaii's defense was just stretched out all over the place, didn't know what they should be covering and where. And uh, I mean, with McCarthy at the helm, uh, the Michigan could really open things up. And I think they tried to open it up for McNamara too. I mean, there were times where they want him to go deep. There were a couple times when he tried to go deep, but it's just, uh, they don't play the same type of game. So um, I, I think we saw kind of the direction that the offense is going to go under, uh, under JJ McCarthy. And it's, it's a really exciting one and a fun one. Uh, and we'll see how it develops from here. But uh, otherwise, again, um, we're still in wait and see mode for at least two weeks. Yeah. I mean, the one thing I really do want to see is like maybe more of like a definitive um, like situation for the receiving game um, for the passing game. Um, just because I know 
again, we asked for that last year and they refused. (laughs) I know. I know. And like, I know I'm probably not going to get a really definitive answer this time around. Um, But again, first against Colorado state, it was, uh, they uh, passed around to 15. They had 15 uh, uh, people catch uh, players catch uh, something. And this week it was 11. I'm hoping that we kind of refine that a bit more. Um, I would like to see all in Schoonmaker a bit more involved. Um, I mean, I get all got a little dinged up early, so they, they just it, it's fair. Match. That's fair. That's fair. And, I, and I'm glad that they did. Um, I, I just do hope that that some of that gets a little bit ironed out because they haven't been as much of a factor in the um, in the way that that I thought they would be receiving wise even though again it's early no, this you're not gonna me at all like they they did this last year they're, they're gonna do it again like they, <sighs> they're just they're just spreading the ball around and other than ronnie bell there isn't anybody who's really separated themselves as like the target so i, th- I like, think we're in for two more weeks of this at least nice. it is kind of cool for the end of the bench type guys like isaiah gash you know walk on that was great probably not gonna mm-hmm. get any carries against ohio state oh totally had a touchdown probably going to be one of the highlights of his college career college experience in general and yeah for all of those walk-on tight ends like we like to joke about them but it's cool for them to get some some catches I, I don't know and Jim was yeah cycling in the the walk-ons pretty early in the third quarter so yeah a lot of the guys right. got to play in front of a, a night crowd at the big house and it's, we had it's a kind of cool and it's all out there as a punt returner uh, <laughs> yeah. backing up AJ heading <laughs> That yeah. was great. Uh, Thaw and Gash as a one-two putt returning uh, duo uh, behind Heading is pretty great. Uh, those are like, yeah, those are like uh, villain sidekick names. Like, those are like your henchmen. Um, but to close out, just like talking about the offense, um, and then we can move on to, uh, I guess, the defense. Um, <laughs> I do, I do just think that like this happens all the time, and I know this is a consistent pattern with Michigan, but it's just the the idea especially from i guess other big 10 rivals and even some of our our colleagues on the site and elsewhere um hmm. you know it, the the perception is that michigan doesn't have any receiving talent and and it's not necessarily true it's just that every the ball is being spread around so much that you don't get to see that talent in the same way so that is kind of what i would say that like there's no opportunity for like your your Jackson Smith and Jigba to emerge. I mean, obviously he's a very different talent, but like there's there's no real opportunity to see like that star emerge. And I don't think that, that that's something that's really gonna happen, at least in the past game. Um, which and I think that, that that's kind of like a, a thing that Michigan will have to just deal with and it's something that I need to get over, but I probably won't. Yeah, it'd be nice to have that guy, but they don't. <laughs> or or yeah. I mean like they're not going to I mean they don't. They don't. <laughs> if most teams have a guy who commands 20 targets a game, they'll do it. Um, if Michigan did have a guy who commanded 20 targets a game, they still would not do it. <laughs> yeah, I agree with that. Yeah. All right. This is going to be the most lopsided uh, like before and after ad break podcast we've probably ever done. But uh, let's let's roll through it. Uh, we are, as always, brought to you by Homefield Apparel. Uh there's a Michigan national champion shirt from 1997 that that is on the site right now. It's also uh, 
uh, in my dresser because uh, that package arrived on Saturday, but I was already wearing another Michigan home field shirt. So I, I decided to keep that one under wraps, maybe wash it before I wear it like you're supposed to do. But nobody ever does because who does that? Um, use the promo code meet at midfield for 15% off your first order from homefieldapparel.com. Uh, the Michigan Na- National Champion shirt was part of a whole line of National Champion shirts. Uh, they are they're good. And uh, there was also a Marshall shirt that was released uh, moments after they beat Notre Dame uh, that I could not help but buy right away. Uh, it's uh, that Kelly green is gorgeous. It's, it's great. Um, and the thundering herd is a great name. Um, so that, that just all comes together for a really excellent shirt. Download the points bet app and use the promo code bucket prop to get 100% of your deposit matched up to $1,000 in the form of free bets to get that bonus. You must use the promo code bucket prob. That is bucket P R O B all one word. Please gamble responsibly, set limits, avoid chasing losses, never bet when you can't afford to lose, take breaks when you need it, and use the self-exclusion feature to stop yourself from betting. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. I also want to mention I was 5-0 and on picks at Meetup Midfield this week. So if you want your subscription to pay itself off, uh, meetupmidfield.com slash subscribe. Uh, I was on a roll this weekend. Um Defense versus Hawaii. Uh, I I don't know if we really have anything to talk about here uh, because that quarterback was not good at all. Uh, uh, Jay Yellen, who I'm just going to assume uh, is former secretary of the Treasury, Janet Yellen, went 13 for 36 for 113 yards with a long of 21. Only took one sack, but a lot of that was uh, there were some panic throws uh, out, out of uh um, some collapsing pro- pockets. And I think Michigan also went uh, a little bit easier on the blitz packages than they did before. Cause they just, uh, they didn't need to do that. They really didn't. Um, it would have been, it would have been really mean. Um, there was one long run by Hawaii uh, that they broke in the second half, 54 yards. But during the competitive portion of this game, they could get absolutely nothing going on the ground. Uh, and that, that covers it. I think uh, I, the Makari page had an impressive looking uh, play where he went over the top for a interception attempt, but uh, just kind of got undercut by DJ Turner on accident while they were both uh, in the same area that happens sometimes, but I, I liked his instinct on that play, but that's pretty much what we're talking about here. There was a nice Mike Stammer still hit um, more, more evidence that he's uh, a really feisty, feisty dude. Um, and I like him at nickel right now, but uh, I've been, mean, this offense, especially they're going through a massive change in what they're trying to do under Jimmy Chang. And uh, these quarterbacks are, I mean, the quarterback that they ran out there and also the other quarterbacks that they've tried, um, not capable, not not capable of executing what they're trying to do. So, uh, I mean, Michigan didn't even really, Michigan only had two tackles for loss in this game because uh, there wasn't really a need, <laughs> I guess, um, to even uh, attack the backfield. Um and Say what you want about Janet Yellen, but she really got the ball out fast on she some of did. those blitzes to avoid. <laughs> she sack. looks spry. Uh, I will. I will give her that. Um, she also had seven passes broken up. That her arm strength is a little questionable uh, getting it out there, but you know, um, we we respect it. We respect it. Um, I was confused about uh, Michigan's totals not adding up, and I just realized why. Uh, their uh, defensive uh, box score leaks onto another page. <laughs> that uh, rocks. <laughs> there's, there's a lot of players that, that got in in this game. Uh, Mike Morris was the guy who ended up recording a set sack, which is uh, 
good to see him credited for one because for some reason he did not not get credit for the strip sack he had uh, that uh, led to DJ Turner's touchdown against Colorado State. Uh, and I'm out. I'm out of things. Uh, Braden McGregor had a tackle for loss that looked nice. Uh, now I'm out. I'm officially out. Anybody? Something I, I did look look at when I wrote my game review is that uh, Corum and Stokes combined had more rush had more rushing yards than the entire like than all of Hawaii attempted. It was it was like one. It was like maybe one forty eight to one forty, um, just with two running backs. Uh, and, it was, and Hawaii it was really back. only got that after after Michigan was running out. Um, that that's right. Uh, yeah. I believe Corum on his own accounted for like sixty two percent of of the total rushing offense that that Hawaii put out. Uh, so it like you could have like literally taken one of our running backs, put them on Hawaii, and it would not have made a difference. Like. I feel a little bad saying that and, and I wish all the best for Hawaii because I think they're just one of those universally like loved programs, even though they're not mm-hmm. quite good. College football is better when Hawaii is good. It is. It really is. But yeah. Um, but when you see stuff like that, when like <laughs> when Michigan's like third string running, running back can actually like account for like probably 50% of your run your entire team's rushing production. That's probably that. So, do you guys want to hear something kind of funny? Yes. Um, always so to to start from the from the top here a little bit my mom is a lifelong denver broncos fan and she finally gets to go to a game this year my my mom and my dad are going out to denver in october for a football game and um, they're really excited they're making a, a long vacation out of it and because my dad's good friend from college is hawaii's ad um, they are also attending the Colorado State versus Hawaii game <laughs> in October. No, that was happening. I forgot. And they are going to be sitting in the box with the Hawaii folks, rooting for the Rainbow Warriors, but they are going to be watching that game in person. Um, so, yeah, I oh, might beautiful. tune in out of like some kind of morbid curiosity <laughs> to report Honestly, back so to the I podcast. Too. Yeah. That um, rocks. But that's just such a funny thing that like their vacation lined up for my mom, who, yeah, seriously, lifelong Denver Broncos fan. I actually um, took her to a game with my brother at Ford Field where Peyton Manning like led a two minute drive to win <laughs> late. Um, but she had never been to Mile High. She started rooting for them when she was a kid, a uh, lifelong fan. And yeah, they get to see some serious sicko football out there too. And not in like the, the Reddit twitter account cfb sickos that calls everything sicko but that's going to be a game between two teams that are yeah the, the sickos committee just invo- calls anything that involves power five teams sick and it's like no these teams are good actually stop doing that yeah. uh, the sicko contest that yeah. is like a real that is like a banger of a football game that, in, in the sense of like bad like that is ah uh, that is yeah. beautiful. That is beautiful. Like that is true sicko it football. That is for perverts. And I'm so excited. Me to midfield live stream yet <laughs> coming coming <laughs> soon. Oh, How man, do we I not really watch that? <laughs> we have to. Yeah. Like I think uh, getplayback.com. Um, yeah, we've been we've got it every week. <laughs> you got to put a five dollar like bet on points bet for that game just to have oh a little God. bit of a. I, I did call the Iowa Iowa State game with money riding on Iowa State, and let me tell you how not fun that was for most of the game. <laughs> <laughs> but ultimately lucrative. Um, was it worth That's it true. in the end? Who's to say? Um, the only other thing I want to note 
about the defense, and then we will quickly uh, say if we have any big picture impressions to take out of this, is that um, we got to see an incredibly Jim Harbaugh thing, which was sending Amorian Walker, the freshman wide receiver, uh, out onto the field on defense in a number one jersey without a nameplate so he could get some reps in his defensive back. And that's how Andrew Anthony ended up in the box score, <laughs> credited with the solo tackle. I'm pretty sure that was actually Amorian Walker wearing a jersey without a nameplate. I do feel bad for whoever has to score these things from the press box because there's no way you can see that from up there. Absolutely no chance. Um, so uh, we had some number switching. We had some guys wearing weird jerseys on both offense and defense. It was a very Jim Harbaugh blowout right down to the part where uh, there was actually a surprising amount of mercy shown in, in the second half and uh, just tight ends everywhere. A lot of tight ends. Um, so I asked at the end, did this game change our outlook for the season at all? I asked the same thing uh, after last week, we had pretty limited answers to that. Um, I think we can roll through these pretty quickly. Uh, Alex. Uh, no, did not tell me anything. <laughs> Fair enough. Taylor. Not really, because I kind of knew McCarthy was going to be the starter anyway. Yeah, I mean, like, I said yes, because I think, like, you know, having McCarthy seize the job this early uh, changes the trajectory a little bit. But I also kind of thought this was how it was going to go. So I'm I'm fudging it a little bit to say that this game was maybe a tiny bit worthwhile. But if you went to bed a lot earlier than I did on Saturday night, uh, I don't blame you at all. Um, or if you flipped over to a, a different game or yeah if a you better just, game yeah if you just went and watched scott frost career end and then went to bed uh that was probably the optimal way to play that night um but uh you know i i did have i did have nebraska georgia southern on the main screen for uh the last few minutes of that one and like, especially because it was overlapping with halftime um so i watched the the first few minutes of the second half uh on my laptop and by watched i mean you know kind of glanced at it but uh i caught back up you know, we're we're still out here doing our jobs, but sometimes our jobs involve uh, gawking at Scott Frost because that that was the thing that needed our attention uh, on Saturday night was just watching Scott Frost uh, get fired, basically, because uh, here we are. They they did not wait, um, not even to save seven point five million dollars. Um, God, somebody please fix the economics of college football right away, because this this is outrageous. Um Please follow at Puck and Problem and at Meet Midfield on Twitter. Uh, sign up for midfield.com at midfield.com slash subscribe. Rate, review, and subscribe to this year free podcast. Use the promo code midfield at homefieldapparel.com. God, I'm blowing this outro. And use the promo code BucketProb on PointsBet. Thank you for listening. Have a great week.